0: You're listening to the Brave Writer Podcast. I'm Julie Bogart. The Brave Writer Podcast is designed to support parents who take an active interest in their children's education, whether you homeschool or not. You're back. So am I. uh, A little worse for the wear, maybe. I've had quite an ordeal with a mystery virus But I am recovering. I spent a fantastic weekend with many of you in Nashville for the Wild and Free Conference. It was electrifying and so reassuring to be around all of you homeschoolers, and I just couldn't wait to get back to the podcast. So many questions were asked of me, and I just have a list as long as my arm now for topics to cover in the podcast In fact, today's topic comes from someone who has subscribed to our text messaging group for the podcast. The question has to do with overcoming resistance in learning, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. What do you do with that kid who's like, I'm never going to need math, I'm going to be a professional baseball player, or I don't need to learn how to write, I'm going to be an engineer, or... What's the point of learning history when it already happened? I don't need to know about what already happened. I'm focused on the future. Kids present us with very reasonable reasons for not wanting to learn. And the subject that they don't want to learn is the one that you think they should, right? It's not that they don't like learning. It's that they don't see the point of learning a subject that you have decided is important for them to have as a skill before they leave your home at age 18. So what do we do about this conundrum? How do we help our kids who throw up a tantrum? Do we just collapse in the face of their anger or distress or tears? Do we muscle through and make them do it against their will knowing it's good for them like eating broccoli? I'm here to answer that question today, so stay tuned. Here we go. Hi, I'm Julie Bogart, and you're listening to the Brave Writer Podcast. So what do we do about these adorable children that we love with our whole hearts who don't want to go with the program? (laughs) I remember a mom called me years ago saying she had four strong-willed children. And I said to her, four, wow, that's a lot. She's like, I know. And so I asked her to tell me about them. As it turned out, this mother had organized what she considered a really artful plan for covering all the subjects each day at the appropriate level for all four kids. She was very proud of this plan. She had spent a lot of thought and care trying to ensure that the kids would enjoy the subjects. They'd have ample time and support from her and none of them wanted to do it. Each one had a different reason. Each one had a fit or a tantrum or a manner of resistance that really infuriated this mom. In her mind, in the lottery of parenting life, she had drawn the winning ticket for Resistance for willful children. Somehow, she wound up with four of them. Now, as I was listening to her speak, a dawning realization occurred to me. And so I said back to her in my gentlest, warmest voice Is it possible that these four delightful children have a strong willed mother? (laughs) She instantly paused. What do you mean? said, well, it's just really unusual to have four kids who all resist. And so I'm starting to wonder if the inflexible person in this story is actually you. Are you unwilling to reconsider the plan, to adapt it to the kids, to take their feedback and use it to make a change? And then she paused and said this to me. She said, yes, but our lives would be so much happier if they would just follow the plan. Goodness, yes, I have had that thought so many times. But here's the fact that we don't want to face. If the plan would make our children happy, they would have followed it already. I'm gonna say that again. If the plan that you and I carefully lay out for the sake of their educations and joy would have made them happier than they currently are, they would have followed it already. You don't have to make a plan to get them on video games or using the sewing machine or watching their favorite movie or playing in the backyard with the dog. There's no plan needed. They are intrinsically motivated to delight in that activity. But if your plan is not one they can envision bringing them some kind of satisfaction or joy, yeah, they're going to resist it. They're going to tell you things like, I have no reason to learn this subject. And you're going to feel frustrated because you can see the long view. You know they need this subject and you feel responsible with the task of teaching it to them. So this poor mother and I, at the end, commiserated a little. I said, I totally get it. Your responsibility to give them an education is in conflict with their loyalty to themselves. And their loyalty to themselves says this, I am not going to do something that is meaningless, boring, and has no current use in my life. When kids are loyal to themselves, it looks like resistance to you, and yet it is a gift because if we can start from the premise that this child is more willing to stand up to an authority in their lives when something doesn't feel right, we can start to know that we're raising really strong-willed children. They will have a strong will around their 16-year-old friends when they get there. So do not see that resistance as some kind of message to you about the failure of your leadership. See it as a tribute to their loyalty to themselves. So you're probably thinking now, Julie, okay, great. You have squared up the problem nicely. What's the game plan? They still have to learn math. They still have to learn how to write. Well, that is what we're going to talk about right now. What's clear to me is that parents are confusing two important issues. Parents care about their students getting the appropriate education. So they prioritize what they consider the right subjects taught in the right ways through the right programs. Meanwhile, your child is resisting and that resistance is expressed as a global unhappiness with the subject or any effort required to address or learn that subject. So on the one hand, the parent is thinking about, and rightly so, the responsibility to deliver an education. Meanwhile, the child is loyal to their own need for a happy and satisfying life. The parent assumes that education will not always yield happiness. The child assumes that they shouldn't have to learn unless they're happy. These are the two important issues that get confused in the minds of both parents and children. Parents often respond in two ways. One kind of parent doubles down and requires the child to complete the work despite the whining or complaining or poor performance. They might use punishment or reward to motivate cooperation. The other kind of parent tries to accommodate the resistance by making the task easier, letting it go for a period, or even just giving up. Like, oh, well, we'll just unschool math as sort of a waving of the white flag. This child is resisting. I don't want their unhappiness. I'll just trust that they'll get trigonometry, you know, when they're 35. The first kind of parent doesn't know how to get the child to be happy and feels some guilt about it, but their responsibility to do a good job helps them override that guilt. The second kind of parent doesn't know how to ensure that the child makes progress in learning, but at least they've preserved their relationship. So now let's look at a third way that will address both kinds of parents. Because whenever you're at one of these standstills where it's like happy children versus complete education, we often feel a kind of paralysis that kicks in. We feel like, I don't know which thing to prioritize. Is it more damaging for me to let the education go to keep a happy child? Or is it more damaging to make a child miserable in service of education? Have you ever felt that conflict? I know I certainly have. So first, let's establish the goal. The goal isn't just to get an education it's for your child to want to learn, right? It's not enough just to drill and kill math all day. We want our kids to find math meaningful, to find it valuable in their own lives, to see that the trajectory of their future has a meaningful relationship to math. The goal is not for a child to be happy at all times. The goal is not for a child to merely get through and get done either. To create a desire to learn, the child has to find the work personally meaningful and useful in some way. We know this from brain research. If something isn't going to be used immediately, it will not be learned. It might be memorized and retained for a test, but that doesn't mean it'll be learned, you know, internalized repeated, used because it has become valuable to the child. So much of what we ask kids to do is oriented to our adult vision, where they need to be next year or by adulthood. For kids, their vision is more immediate. What will this do for me today? So for instance, when we're teaching phonics, a child who is being read to out of picture books every day understands that the goal of learning to read is so they can read these amazing books to themselves. Can you see how that correlation is so much easier to make? When we teach math, however, so often it's just a work of paper and pencil and abstraction. The child can't even imagine why it's important to figure out how to line up these numbers and compute and make them mean an answer. Meanwhile, you pull out the game Yahtzee And suddenly, adding the numbers together and seeing the patterns and making the regroupings has all kinds of meaning because it's related to a game. So the child is interested in what this subject will do for me right now in an area I value. We can toggle between these two visions, the adult perspective that this subject is needed and especially eventually, and the child perspective that the subject should be relevant to learn now. One way to begin is to recognize that any task that requires repetition, practice, and skill is felt as unnatural initially. I remember really distinctly learning how to sew. My mom had a Singer sewing machine, and she made all of our clothes when I was little. And so I got fascinated with sewing and wanted to run this machine, you know, where I could put my foot on the pedal and make it go really fast. One of her first instructions to me was how to thread a needle and coordinate it with the bobbin. I will never forget how incredibly frustrating it was to learn to get the bobbin to come up through the base and coordinate with the the thread in the needle. I stabbed my finger, I bled, I cried, But boy, was I determined. I did not look happy. What I looked like was a child driven almost by a madness because that's how badly I wanted to sew. Happiness is not always the byproduct of struggle and learning. Motivation means I will work through the unhappiness and struggle because the outcome is something I value. The hand that grips the pencil may hurt. There aren't calluses and the grip is strained or tight. When your child says it hurts to handwrite, they're not lying. Learning to line up numbers in a multi-digit problem is not easy. The eyes don't even know what lined up looks like yet. Imagine backwards to when you had a hard time controlling the pencil and getting the proportions right and then being told, oh, and by the way, line these up in neat rows so that when you do calculating, you aren't tempted to add the wrong numbers. I mean, that is a lot of work for a second grader. And yet we just expect it to show up flawlessly with no effort, no cost, no struggle, Thinking through which direction letters go or how to borrow in subtraction drains energy from the part of the brain that is drawing the letter B proportionately or that is remembering that for subtraction, you go down a digit when you borrow. These are little pieces of instruction that are so automatic to us as adults, we've completely lost touch with the intimidation and challenge they are for kids. Even though they feel second nature, we can't forget that our kids are in the first nature, the challenge, the struggle. And if they have no clear purpose for why the struggle is valuable, they're going to want to run away from it. They are going to show you resistance. Resistance then could be understood in this way. Resistance could be interpreted as, I don't get why I have to struggle. Now, if you've watched a kid play a video game, they know why they have to struggle. Sometimes kids are just clicking away, clicking away, clicking away to beat a level and they fail and they cry. And then they go back and they try to beat the level again. Why would they do that? Why aren't they resistant? Why aren't they saying to you, wow, I see no point in a video game it's not worth it. It's too hard. Clicking is too much. Trying to find the treasure chest feels impossible. I don't see a point because they do see a point. There is some kind of payoff or reward or sense of pride in the success that drives them through the challenge, through the hardship to completing the task. When we ask our kids to handwrite or we ask them to do math, we ask them to read a long chapter book that's not their choice. We're asking them to envision why the struggle is worth the effort. And when they tell you it's stupid or dumb or hard, what they're telling you is, I don't know why the struggle is worth it yet. You haven't made that clear to me. And to just bully them as a parent and say, well, because I said so, or you'll never get into college or have a full-time job when you're 40 years old if you don't learn this now, it's just not motivating. An 11-year-old is not motivated by a vision of life at 35 or even 22. They need a tangible reason for why this struggle is important today. Stepping away from the podcast just for a moment, I want to make you aware that it is possible to join our little group of podcast listeners through our text messaging system. If you send the word pod to 833-947-3684, you will be able to receive messages from us reminding you of when the next episode drops. However, it has an even more important use. I want to hear from you. In fact, I am putting together a list of topics to discuss on the show based on recommendations from podcast listeners like you. You can tell me people to interview. You can give me topics for parenting or educating or awesome adulting. We can build together the kind of podcast that you would love to hear. So simply text the word POD 833-947-3684. to 833-947-3684. If you are in a country besides the United States, be sure to put a one in front of that number. I will put it in the show notes, so don't pull over if you're driving just to write it down. It will be easy for you to find later. Also, if you have any questions about how to use our program, which products or classes to purchase, we have customer service support members waiting on the other side of your phone, ready to talk with you personally and make sure that you have exactly what you need for a fantastic school year. So again, the number is 833-947-3684. Text the word POD. The way we make learning meaningful then isn't through lectures about college readiness. We can't shame them into learning for the sake of keeping up with their age mates either. You can't say every third grader in America knows cursive, therefore you must learn it. That doesn't always motivate. Now, there are some kids for whom that might be enough. But for a lot of kids, especially homeschoolers, that's like speaking another language to them. They don't care about their age mates. They care about their lives. Sometimes we find it difficult to tie the lesson to a direct experience in the child's current life. So, I'm telling you, "Hey, let's make it meaningful." And you're like, "I really don't know how to make this meaningful yet. I don't know how to overcome this hump. Sure, we can roll dice and play games, but I feel like long division needs to be learned and long division doesn't show up in Monopoly. So, how do I build an intrinsic motivation for long division? This is when we turn to a different kind of intrinsic motivation. Here's where parents can strengthen their hands. You must not collapse in the face of resistance, but stiffen your resolve while softening their hearts. We want both a sturdy parent and a soft heart, okay? A child who hates handwriting and who has been supported for a period of time in expressing thoughts, and having that parent jot those thoughts down for them can now be returned to the intimidating task of handwriting. What do I mean? Your child says they hate handwriting. That's probably because they don't see it as a tool for self-expression. They see it as a torture for performance for an adult. So where we begin in the Brave Writer program is not with handwriting. We start with the internal life of your child. We say, what's going on in there? Oh my gosh, you just told me the greatest story about our dog. I don't want to forget it, so I'm writing it down. Tell me more about what Benji did in the backyard. Oh my gosh, I'm going to write that down. And then we pull that piece of writing out and we read it to an interested audience. Maybe we read it to the other parent or a sibling or a grandparent. Maybe we just read it back to the child during read aloud time letting them know that we really valued that story as a piece of writing. As your child starts to recognize that what lives inside them deserves to be transcribed and protected and preserved, now handwriting takes on a different meaning. It will be their tool to preserve their own thoughts when they are ready to do that for themselves. So now, when you introduce handwriting you can say to them, hey, I'm gonna show you how to do this magical thing called handwriting. The tool I use to capture your thoughts, you can use that same tool to capture your own thoughts. It's gonna be a little challenging because I'm just here to tell you, when you put the pencil between these fingers, it feels really awkward and not natural. And in fact, look at my fingers. They've got some indentations and calluses because I've been doing it for 35 years or 42 years, but you haven't yet. So I just want you to know that when your hand starts hurting, just tell me. Say, you know what, I'm trying mom, but I could only make three letters before my hand started hurting. And then we'll stop and we'll massage your fingers a little bit and then we'll try again. And if that's enough for today, we'll save it for the next day because sort of like guitar playing or gymnastics or rope climbing, You have to build calluses so that your hand gets comfortable with this new task. Can you imagine starting that way? Really naming what the experience is going to be like? Letting your child know that they have permission to tell you when they suffer, when they have pain? Reminding them that this is gonna grow gradually over time. They don't have to master it today. You might even tell them, I remember when I was little, I couldn't always know which way the B went or the D went. And so I learned this little trick that helped me remember and then teach him the trick. Part of what we do is we go into teacher mode. We're like standing in the front of the classroom again, talking to 30 children instead of having an intimate personal conversation with this beloved child. But that's our task. Our task is to personalize learning. That's why we're homeschooling. That's why we support a child doing homework. Whether your kid is in school or not, you're the parent. You get to personalize learning for your child. You get to help them feel safe inside their own skin. You get to help them name their direct experience. And they get to know that when they tell you they're suffering, you're there to support them, to help them through it, not to ignore it by barreling forward and not to collapse in the face of it. You as the parent can come with the calm expectation that handwriting is a part of your parenting and education routine, just like toothbrushing. But we didn't expect our children to brush their teeth the second they could grip a, a toothbrush. We helped them brush their teeth. We showed them how we brushed our own teeth. We might've even let them Brush our teeth, right? Because we knew that long-term toothbrushing required some practice, some dexterity, some familiarity with the practice. We got them all different flavors of toothpaste so they could see which one tasted best. We let them pick out the color of their toothbrush, right? We got involved in a child's toothbrushing experience. We didn't, didn't just say to them, when you're 22 years old and living on your own, you'll need to be a toothbrusher. So let's work on it now at age five. <laughs> you can express the expectation that your child will learn toothbrushing, handwriting, long division, without simultaneously needing your child to be joyful and outwardly happy about it. How will you do that? So let's try a little conversation. I wrote this script. It's in the show notes so you can read it. But I want you to hear the spirit, the flavor of what you can say when something feels challenging and your child throws up resistance. I know you find handwriting a little boring and meaningless and maybe difficult for your hands. I've watched you learn how to play soccer, by kicking the ball on goal over and over again. Maybe just insert whatever repetitive task they've learned. Like you might say, I've watched you beat levels in Fortnite just by clicking that same mouse over and over again. Or I've watched you learn to brush your teeth by practicing with me every day for the last three years. So pick a repetitive task and name it. That's a little how it is with handwriting or long division. Over time, it gets easier with practice. So I have an idea and I want your help in making a plan. What if you don't have to practice this skill every single day? What if some days you hardly have to practice at all and other days are days where you set a big goal and if you hit it, you get to celebrate with something important to you. And then maybe there are even days where you don't even practice at all. You take a nice break from it. You can pick how many words or letters per day you're willing to handwrite. You can tell me what days you'd like to take off. And on those stretch days where you're going to do more letters or more words than you've done all week, you can decide what that new goal is each week. If we hit it, We can go out for a root beer float or play cards or whatever makes a fun celebration for you. We can also make the days you're working hard at handwriting lighter in other subjects if you like. Like maybe on those days when you have a stretch goal for handwriting, we just won't do math that day to give your hand a break. Can you help me make this plan? I've got some sheets of paper with the days of the week on it. Let's do a test week and see what happens. Let's take another break to talk for a moment about the Brave Writer online writing class program. Did you know what we do is absolutely unique in the market? I think we're the only ones. And do you also know that we started before anyone else? I was doing online classes in late 1999. We used email lists for me to communicate with parents, to read their children's writing, and to give what we like to call line item reader feedback. Goodness gracious, what is that, you ask? What it means is when you submit writing inside a Brave Writer online writing class, the teacher isn't just gonna give a few cursory comments and a grade. Things like, don't use passive voice or unclear. Remember getting those comments and wondering what on earth you were supposed to do with them? Yeah, we know that doesn't work. In fact, research shows that those comments on writing lead to zero improvement in the next paper. Mic drop, please. That comes from a book called Growing a Writer by Noblock and Brandon. So what does produce change in a student's writing? You know what it is? Conversation, making meaning from the writing they offer, So what you're going to hear from our coaches is what we call reader feedback. That means that the coach is reading your child's writing as a reader looking to be entertained, informed, and enriched. So that coach might write something like, powerful opening hook, I found myself curious to know what happened to you next. A little further on in the same piece of writing, they might say, you have a great adjective here. They might go further and say, I'm now trying to imagine the actions you took. What are other ways to describe building a sandcastle? And as they work through the piece of writing, they're providing support, humor, conversation, and hints at what that child can do to enhance their writing. What we've discovered is that our students are highly motivated to make those changes because it's going to engage a reader. They're not trying to perform for a grade. Our online writing classes then are delivered through writing. We write out the instructions. We interact with our students through written engagement. Interestingly enough, even the questions the students write have to be put in writing. What does that do? It creates a writing culture where the student starts to shift the way their brain thinks to self-expression in writing. In other words, they're not listening to a lecture, conversing in a chat, or asking questions with their mouth. They are using the reading and writing centers of their brain throughout the class, even when they're not submitting a piece of writing. And what that does is it trains the mind to hook up with a hand so that that student can produce writing no matter what the task is in front of them. Our classes have been award-winning. They are 22 years in the making. We've taught tens of thousands of students. We have seen students go on to get scholarships and get into college and turn writing into their professions and careers. If you are interested to know more, go to bravewriter.com slash online classes, and you will find our class program. I want to recommend to you Brave Writer 101 if you're brand new. This class is especially good for kids between the ages of nine and about 14 or 15. You, the parent, will be enrolled in this class with your student, and together you will build a partnership, an editor and a writer together, that will be a loving supportive, effective relationship that advances your child's writing skills. I hope you'll give us a try. Head over to BraveWriter.com, click on the link to online classes, and get started today. The point here is your child will no longer be facing an endless march toward misery of committing to a daily ill-defined task that never leads to any sense of accomplishment or celebration, but feels like eternal torment. The resistance that you see in your child is so often about the feeling of, oh no, I'm doomed. I'll have to do this awful thing forever, every single day of my life. So I better say I will never need it so that I can stop the lifetime sentence. That's what the resistance is all about. Your child is facing climbing a mountain and there is no marked path. There are no snacks. There is no vista to look out at. You're just saying, we will get to the top of that hill and you have to be there by the time you're 21. And we are going now and all of it will be hard. And I don't care if it's hard because I am your mother or I am your father. But what if... We approached that mountain and we said, We're going on a hike. The top of the mountain's the goal, but that's a long way off. Here's the good news after our first hundred feet, there's a little vista and we get to look out and you're going to see some elk. And uh, while we're walking, we're going to eat a snack. And anytime you get tired, we can just sit down for a little while. There's no rush. And then I'm bringing a tent. And so there will be days where we're just going to pitch a tent and spend that day playing in the new vista. Like we'll play a game, we'll read a book, we'll just relax here for a little bit and then we'll hike again. That's what I'm suggesting as a way to address resistance while still valuing the skill and not collapsing in the face of your child's terror of being tormented. We can support these learning experiences with all kinds of contextual props. So snacks, some music, letting the cat sit in a child's lap so they can pet it, letting them light a candle. I don't know why that's magic, but it just is. You can even move the location, maybe put the handwriting on a clipboard and let them sit outside in a comfy chair or tuck them into the corner of the sectional. We can sit by the child to lend emotional support, We can notice when a child's attention flags and let them know it's time for a break. Surprise them. They look like they're struggling. They're starting to collapse. They're starting to rest their chin in their hand. And you could even say, wow, looks like you got as far as you can for today. Let's stop before you start hating it. Can you imagine what a child might feel if you named that and gave them permission to take a break? We can even suggest they do some jumping jacks or they run up and down the stairs three times and then come back and continue. We can also ask for real feedback. What was difficult today? What felt easier than usual? What part of what you worked on feels like something you want to focus on more? What's something you've already got dialed and you don't want to have to keep boring yourself by repeating it as a task? These are the strategies we use when we meet resistance. We're not here to insist. We're here to invite. And when we invite, we take into consideration the whole person, not just our goal as a responsible adult in a child's life. Education, then, is not about forcing a child through lessons or ignoring what causes pain. It's about learning how to support learning in the face of big, scary challenges that feel tedious or painful to the child. It's about meeting the corresponding need with the appropriate support. And I know you can do it. Dig deep. Think back to what it felt like to be a child. If you don't know, you have experts living in your family. Talk to your child. Ask them, what does it feel like to learn to handwrite? What's going on in your stomach, in your hands? What's your mind saying to you while you're handwriting? Where are your eyes? How are they looking? Are they looking at the letter? Are they looking at your hand? Are they looking at the line? It's really interesting. Sometimes we assume our kids know how to look up and look down and trace. They don't. Sometimes even just reminding them to look at the example and then look down at the line they're writing on is a tip they don't have. So get close to your child. Be a detective. Be a supportive, curious, loving parent, and you will see learning bloom. And by the way, if you don't have strategies yet for how to overcome that resistance, that's okay. Take some time away from the subject and reintroduce yourself to it. I know for me, when I was teaching things like fractions or long division, I couldn't even quite remember what the steps were. So I took time to re-experience what it felt like to learn that subject. I read about it. I practiced on my own. I imagined my child. And then I taught it. I didn't just turn the page in the math book and say, oh, it's time for long division. Okay, here's what you do. If you go slow to think about the resistance and to think about the subject and how to provide that support, when you actually meet your child in the moment, you will have so much more spaciousness. You won't feel all contracted and nervous. You'll feel spacious and open to whatever the moment presents. Thanks for joining me today. This is the part of the podcast where I ask you to leave a review. You can leave stars or words, whatever your choice is. If you've already left a review, thank you so much. You never know, Natalie might read yours one of these weeks. The truth is I love podcasting and I couldn't do it without you. I'd love your ideas for the next topics you'd like me to discuss on the show. To let us know, reach out to us via our SMS or texting number. That number is 1-833-947-3684. I know that's a mouthful, don't worry, it's in the show notes. Simply text the word pod to be added to the podcast group and then just text us any ideas you have for future shows. We're already building a beautiful Excel spreadsheet with all your ideas. Hey everyone, Natalie with the Brave Writer team. Here again, looking through five-star reviews And today's comes from Pama Uma. I read the book, The Brave Learner, months ago, which was enlightening. I just recently came across the podcast and have been listening nonstop. I enjoy your approach, your honesty, your tone, and the content you've put out. Thank you for sharing your experiences. Thanks, Pama Uma. Today's episode was produced by Nova Media, with support from team members Jeanette Hall and Natalie Miele. I'm Julie Bogart, author of The Brave Learner and Raising Critical Thinkers. I'm also the founder of BraveWriter.com, an innovative approach to writing instruction. You've been listening to The Brave Writer Podcast. Until next time, keep going, think well, I'm rooting for you.